My favorite holiday is tomorrow. A holiday that sees family members gather, share stories, reminisce, and break bread together. My favorite part of the day was and still is the conversation. Of course, the food is always great too. Thanksgiving is a day all about family. It's also a day where we all have our own traditions, some of which are for what we watch. Whether that's the football game, the national dog show hosted here in Philadelphia, or the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. For us, it was always the latter. Our story today begins much like that, with the iconic parade hosted in New York City. A film released in 1947 about another holiday and that wonderful man they call Santa Claus. So if you're like me and you enjoy film and the impact and emotions they convey, then grab a glass of your preferred liquid and join me for the next little while. For me, that's a cup of warm pumpkin matcha latte from our friends at Saxby's. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about the love of film. Welcome to Glazed Cinema. talking about our subject today, I wanted to start off with a bit of news. I hope you have been enjoying Glaze Cinema thus far. It's been a true pleasure to talk about films and recommend the works I love. With the holiday season upon us, I will be taking some time off after this episode to spend the holidays with family. I will, however, be back for season two of Glaze Cinema in January of 2022. During my break, I will still be posting to social media and preparing for next year. So with that out of the way, let's get to our subject today. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, as I said in the intro, and I have fond memories from past years. I remember as a kid, my mom would make herself coffee and eat breakfast with us in the living room while the parade was on. Sometimes, my dad was working until the afternoon at the store, but when he was home for the day, we'd all watch it together. My brother and I loved seeing the balloons of all our favorite characters, the colorful floats, and the happy songs performed. My mom would start cooking during the parade, and we'd all call her out to the living room to see certain things if we thought they were cool. Eventually, we'd start smelling the delicious food, and then came Santa Claus to close the parade. By the afternoon, my grandparents would arrive and the dog show would be on, and we'd be eating dinner followed by dessert, which then was followed by intermittent napping and conversation. 
I loved spending time with everybody and hearing stories of both past and present. Our subject today was released in 1947 and was a massive hit when it was released across the globe. The story itself has very simple beginnings. It was first thought of by writer Valentine Davies. While at a department store during the holidays, he stood in a long line. While waiting, he wondered what Santa would think of all the lines and how Christmas had been commercialized. Inspired by this idea, he would write a story and later gave it to George Seaton, who wrote the script that would become Miracle on 34th Street. Known primarily as a Christmas movie, it was originally released in June, six months removed from the holiday season. The tale revolves around four central characters. There is, of course, Chris Kringle, played by Edmund Gwen. Chris is actually Santa Claus, visiting New York when he becomes Macy's Santa Claus for the brand. There is Doris Walker, played by Maureen O'Hara, who is a Macy's executive in charge of orchestrating events for the holiday season. Her daughter Susan, played by Natalie Wood, is a very practical girl who, like her mother, does not believe in Santa Claus and only pays her mind to logical things. Then there's Fred Galley, played by John Payne, who is a lawyer and lives next to both Doris and Susan. Fred has feelings for Doris, and as a believer in St. Nick, tries to show both of them the magic of Christmas and that Santa Claus truly does exist. Chris is a warm, gentle, and kind-hearted man, as you would expect, who wants to bring joy to others. People are skeptical of Chris, however, and doubt his mental sanity. What sane man thinks he's Santa Claus, they say, and put him on trial. Together, Fred, Doris, and Susan become intertwined in a tale about an innocent man accused of delusion. They must defend Chris and his mental well-being to convince the judge that he truly is Chris Kringle before he is declared insane and locked away in a mental institution. It's a classic film and one that has captured the imaginations of generations. No matter how many times I watch this film, there's one thing that always stands out to me. Watching this film, I always marvel at how perfect Edmund Gwen is for the role of Santa Claus. In my personal opinion, I think it's the best portrayal of Santa Claus, hands down. Despite how well it turned out, however, Edmund wasn't the first choice to play Kris Kringle. Instead, it was another actor named Cecil Kellaway. Cecil had been acting in film for over a decade at the time, but he would turn the role down. He did, however, have a replacement in mind, and instead recommended his cousin, Edmund. And the rest, as they say, is history. O'Hara herself knew that Edmund would be a hit as Chris Kringle. In her autobiography, she wrote just as much, stating, quote, Each evening when we were not working, Edmund Gwen, John, and I 
went for a walk up Fifth Avenue. Natalie had to go to bed, but we didn't. We stopped and window shopped at all the stores, which were beautifully decorated for the holidays. Edmund especially loved those nights, and acted more like the kid who might be getting the presents instead of the Santa who would be giving them. I got such a big kick out of seeing the expressions of the window dressers when they saw Edmund peering in at them. I knew then that he was going to make a big splash as Santa Claus. Everyone felt the magic on the set, and we all knew we were creating something special. End quote. Edmund was so convincing, in fact, that Natalie Wood thought he truly was Santa Claus. That is, until filming was over, and she saw him out of character. Who could blame her? Edmund had committed himself to the role so much that he grew his own beard and even gained 30 pounds just to play the role. One of the biggest challenges of this film was shooting those scenes at the parade. If you're unfamiliar with the film, there are several shots of the iconic parade. They're showing floats, performers, and of course, Santa Claus. There are other shots of the parade too, like the one in Fred's apartment in a high-rise looking down on the festivities. There, he is talking to Susan with the parade going on in the background, and that iconic shot of the balloon baseball player floating above the street. Something interesting I learned while doing research is that the parade scene in the film was the actual parade from 1947. But it wasn't just shots of the parade from the high-rise, no, it was all the shots. Even Edmund Gwen was chosen as the official Santa Claus during the day's ceremony. Not only did he look the part, but this also ensured that shooting the film could occur with no disruption to the beloved event. This did, of course, add tremendous pressure to all parties. For Macy's, they would have to hope that the actor would portray Santa Claus well enough to make the children watching on the streets and at home happy and joyful to see Santa. Without any frame of reference, other than appearances, I would imagine this would be nerve-wracking for such an iconic brand, especially in the competitive season of Christmas. For Edmund, he'd have to play Santa Claus, not just for the cameras and the film crew, but also the national broadcast, and more importantly, the crowd in front of him. The ones with the most pressure on them, however, would have to be the film crew themselves. They needed shots of the crowd from the street, shots of the parade from above, shots of Santa, and all needed to be done in one take. I mean, it's not like they could hold the parade, the bystanders, and the people watching at home hostage while they set up and shot a second take. No, everything had one opportunity, one chance, one take. Despite all that pressure, however, it was absolutely successful all around. Everyone loved Edmund as Santa Claus at the parade, and the crew got all the shots they needed as well. I don't know about you, but from where I'm sitting, that's pretty impressive. Especially when you take into account they were shooting on location in New York City. 
it's fairly easy to imagine this in today's digital world, with the cameras being much smaller and more mobile, and the fact that you didn't have to change film reels. However, in the 40s, with those much larger cameras, it's a little bonkers for me to imagine them shooting such seamless scenes in the middle of a parade during a national broadcast and have it come across so swimmingly. Now, there are a lot of scenes that I love in Miracle on 34th Street. I mean, it's such an iconic movie. It's hard to think of just a few scenes that stand out. But one of my favorite scenes in the film is when Chris is sitting down in Santa Claus at Macy's. A woman soon approaches with her daughter who has pigtails and a round hat. The girl looks on shyly as Mr. Kringle greets her, saying, Well, young lady, what's your name? Her mother begins to speak as her daughter looks up at her. She says, I'm sorry, she doesn't speak English. She only speaks Dutch. She just came over. Chris begins to smile, nodding in his understanding. The little girl looks on with a look of muted nervousness. Her mother continues. She's been living in an orphan's home in Rotterdam ever since, and we've adopted her. I told her you wouldn't be able to speak to her, but when she saw you in the parade yesterday, she said that you were Santa Claus, as she calls you, and that you could talk to her. What happens next is a wonderful and touching moment that I'll leave for you to discover. Another of my favorite scenes is when Doris calls in Chris to speak to Susan. The little girl begins to believe that he is the real Santa Claus, and Doris wants him to tell her the truth, that there is no Santa Claus and that he is not him. This backfires on Doris, however, as Chris is the real Santa. There is some verbal back and forth, but what I love about this scene is when we see Chris's employment record. There, typed up, are his bits of personal information. Name, Chris Kringle. Address, Brooks Memorial Home for the Aged. Place, North Pole. Next of kin, Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen. My favorite bit, however, is his date of birth. Instead of a date, there are the words, as old as my tongue and a little bit older than my teeth. It's such an odd and tongue-in-cheek sort of statement, pun intended. Turns out it's a great quote that comes from Jonathan Swift, an Irish satirist who famously wrote Gulliver's Travels. The quote comes from a collection called Polite Conversation, or a collection of genteel and ingenious conversation. I love that scene, though, especially the way Chris handles the entire situation. Instead of being offended or causing a fuss when Doris explains that she wants him to tell her daughter the quote-unquote truth, he politely disagrees while talking to little Susan about school, knowing he is who he is and not needing to prove anything to anyone. That is, until he has to. I love this film for a lot of reasons. Most of all, I love the feeling it provides. 
I always feel good having watched it, and it's such a wonderfully genuine film. Nothing about it seems forced or underdeveloped. There are a few Christmas movies I have on rotation every year, which include Home Alone, The Christmas Carol with George C. Scott, and Miracle on 34th Street. It's a timeless classic, and a film that speaks to the young heart in each of us. Miracle on 34th Street is beloved by many generations and has stood the test of time as a holiday classic. It's a little strange to think that so many remakes have been made between three TV movies in 1955, 59, and 73, and one theatrical release in 1994. Though opinions may vary, my favorite version is still the original. As I said before, this film is quite iconic. There are a lot of great scenes and things to be said about Miracle on 34th Street. If you've never had the pleasure of viewing it, I highly recommend giving it a try. I don't think you'll be disappointed. If you'd like to watch Miracle on 34th Street for yourself, you can find it on a variety of streaming services. At the time of this recording, you can find Miracle on 34th Street on HBO Max. HBO Max is a streaming service that offers two pricing options, including $9.99 with ads and $14.99 without ads. At this time, you can also find it on Hulu, but you will need a subscription within the app itself to watch it. You can also find Miracle on 34th Street on services like Prime Video, Google Play, Apple TV, Vudu, and YouTube for either $2.99 or $3.99 to rent. One other thing to keep in mind is that as Christmas starts to get closer, I'm sure Miracle on 34th Street will be available on other streaming services as well as cable. This episode was written and recorded by me, Brian Kinney, with music by Kevin McLeod. If you like this podcast, tell your friends or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Each week, there will be new content including hints about episodes before they air. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, please visit our website at glazedcinema.com. There, you'll find info about the show, and a place to submit ideas for future episodes. For film fans who are hearing impaired, our blog page features each episode in written form as well. That's all for this season. Glaze Cinema will be back with new content and more episodes in the new year, with the first episode of the season arriving in January. As always, thanks for listening. And I hope to see you next time with another beverage and another fine film on Glazed Cinema.